the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Now, why would Paul feel compelled to tell these men about his approach to teaching? It's because he wants them to follow his example. That's what this is all about. So that they, as pastors of the church, will continue teaching the congregation the word of God in an uncompromising way that refuses to be intimidated by anything. See, Paul understood the temptation He got it. He understood the temptation these men would face to back off from strong teaching out of fear. This seems to be indicated by the fact that he mentions pretty much the same thing about his teaching again in verse 27. He's reiterating this truth because he wants them to get it. Notice verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. God's Word. Does that mean screaming and hollering? No, but it does mean not watering down God's Word, but teaching exactly what is in the Bible. This is Verse by Verse, a daily radio program featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff, who boldly brings us God's Word on every program. We're in a series called A Faithful Shepherd Says Farewell. Pastor Steve has been explaining how important it is to teach God's Word faithfully, and we have the ministry of the Apostle Paul as our example. While Paul directed his farewell to pastors, this can be applied in many different areas. So let me encourage you to listen carefully and see how the Holy Spirit applies today's lesson in your life. Now today, as we continue working our way through Paul's farewell address, we see that after telling the elders from the church at Ephesus that he served the Lord with trials, Paul immediately reveals how in spite of those trials, he continued to minister to the church. And in doing so, he tells us about something else that characterized his service for Christ, and that is he was diligent and bold in preaching the word of God. Notice verse 20 as we continue. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Now, Paul states that in light of the many trials he endured at the hands of the unsaved Jewish community in Ephesus, it did not cause him to shrink back, or the thought is withdraw, from declaring everything that benefited the people of the church that he was ministering to. In other words, even though he constantly faced dangers, he boldly proclaimed the word of God, and he held back nothing but taught the people everything they needed to grow in godliness, to grow in their walk with the Lord. And and he explains that his fearless preaching 
took place in two venues, two locations. The first is that he said he taught the Ephesians publicly. By that, I take it that he's referring to the afternoon lectures he gave for two years in the school of a man by the name of Tyrannus, as well as the weekly church services in Ephesus. Secondly, he says that he taught the Ephesians house to house, which means that he visited the homes of the people of the church and he taught them in their own homes. In other words, the truths that he proclaimed to them on Sundays in public, he helped them to understand and to personally apply to their lives by coming alongside of them in the privacy of their own homes and teaching them there. Now, what Paul is reminding these elders of is that his service to the Lord was marked by bold teaching, bold preaching, teaching and preaching that refused to be intimidated by persecution. That is to say, he's letting them know that he did not allow persecution to weaken his teaching so that he was afraid to tell the church what the church needed to hear. He told them everything that was profitable for them, meaning what? Meaning he gave them a well-balanced diet of the word of God. Now, why would Paul feel compelled to tell these men about his approach to teaching. It's because he wants them to follow his example. That's what this is all about. So that they, as pastors of the church, will continue teaching the congregation the word of God in an uncompromising way that refuses to be intimidated by anything. See, Paul understood the temptation. He got it. He understood the temptation these men would face to back off from strong teaching out of fear. This seems to be indicated by the fact that he mentions pretty much the same thing about his teaching again in verse 27. He's reiterating this truth because he wants them to get it. Notice verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now listen closely. There are two important principles to learn from Paul's diligent and bold teaching of the Ephesians. One principle pertains to pastors as teachers, and one principle pertains to the members of a local church as those who listen to pastors. So first, first principle. First, for those of us who are called to teach the Word of God, the principle is that in serving the Lord, we must be committed to teaching the entire Bible in a way that does not water down tone down or dilute in any way its powerful truths. And I say that because there are many pastors today who do not, sadly, tragically, do not follow Paul's example of teaching because they're just afraid to preach certain biblical truths that might upset some in their congregation. Or they fail to proclaim certain truths out of fear of being looked upon by unsaved people as being ignorant, foolish, out of step with their culture, outdated, unscientific, stuff like that. So out of fear, they refuse to preach about certain sins. In fact, there are some preachers, some who are very well known, who don't speak about sin at all. In addition, they fail to teach their people such important truths as the necessity of church discipline, divine election, biblical prophecy, they don't want to get into that, speaking in tongues as a sign gift that ceased in the first century, they don't want to talk about that, or they refuse to upset anyone by talking about hell and other unpleasant doctrines. Many years ago, when I was preaching through the book of Romans, I had a conversation with a a pastor who told me that he could never preach Romans to his people. He would just never even try that. I think what he meant is that Romans 
The book of Romans is so theologically deep that his people, he felt, would have a hard time handling all of its truths. Now, frankly, that baffled me back then, and it still baffles me. Because if you're a pastor, then you have been called by God to feed your people the Word of God, including the theologically deep parts. I mean, it's a pastor's job to take the deep things of God and help his people understand them. In present, in pre, by presenting them in easy to grasp ways, we take the profound truths of Scripture and, and we, don't, we don't simplify it, but we express it in ways that are sometimes a little simpler to understand than if you were reading a very technical commentary. So that's what pastors do. That's what they're supposed to do. They explain. That's what teaching is. It's explaining truth so that their people will grow in their understanding of God and learn how he wants them to think and live. And by neglecting to teach like this, pastors do their people a grave disservice because they are holding back truths that they need to know. Truths that Christ wants his people to know. And what is it that causes a pastor to do this? It is the fear of man. It is being afraid of how people will react to such teaching and what people might think of them. That's the bottom line. Proverbs 29 verse 25 states, the fear of man brings a snare. A snare is a trap. That's exactly right. That's certainly true for pastors who have allowed the fear of man to trap them into holding back from their people certain truths from the word that they need to hear, truths that are beneficial for them. This is why it's so important for pastors to recognize that they are nothing more than slaves of Jesus Christ. And as his slave, they just don't have the luxury of choosing what to preach from the word and what not to preach from the word. We're ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador has only one job. Tell the people what the king told you to tell the people. Don't change the message at all. So if you're a pastor, then you are to do as Paul did. You are to hold back nothing, to teach everything for the benefit of your people. And if you get criticized, and you will, then you get criticized. It goes with the territory. But even if you're criticized, there is great satisfaction in knowing that you have pleased the one who called you to preach his word. And at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Now, the second principle we see from Paul's diligent and his his bold preaching is one that applies to members of a church. The principle is this that you should only be in a church where the pastor is committed to teaching the whole counsel of God. And I say that knowing that there are some Christians who just don't want that. They don't want to sit under that kind of teaching because they know that that kind of teaching will bring conviction of sin and demand their repentance. And so they don't want that. They tend to gravitate to churches where the teaching is weak. It's very limited. But that is just so contrary to what the New Testament says concerning the importance of hearing the whole counsel of God. Notice what Paul said to Timothy concerning his preaching ministry. He said in 2 Timothy 3.16, that marvelous verse, that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now notice that Paul says that all scripture is inspired by God, meaning that it comes from God. He is the source of the Bible. Literally, it is all scripture is God breathed out. Since it comes from God, 
Paul says it is profitable because it comes from God. And it is profitable, why? Because it teaches us doctrines, truths, principles that we need to hear. It's profitable, Paul said, because it reproves us when we are in sin. It's profitable, Paul said, because it corrects us so that in turning from our sin, we have some direction as to how we are to behave righteously. It is profitable, Paul said, because it keeps us on the path of righteous behavior. It trains us in righteous behavior. So, listen, in choosing a church, be sure that you are sitting under pastoral leaders who are unafraid to teach you the whole counsel of God. And as I've already said, this is why Paul is telling these Ephesian elders about his approach to teaching, because he wants them to follow in his footsteps, follow his example, continue to teach the Ephesians the way he taught them when he was with them for three years. Hold back nothing that is profitable for them. Now, the teaching that Paul's just been explaining, that's the teaching, note this, that he gave to believers, believers at the church in Ephesus, the in-depth, biblically balanced preaching of the word. But there was another aspect of Paul's teaching that he wanted the elders of Ephesus to understand and to emulate, and that was his evangelistic preaching to unbelievers. And so as Paul continues talking to them about his diligent, no-holds-barred preaching, he now explains how he ministered the gospel to unsaved people. Notice verse 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul explains that in witnessing to Jewish and Gentile unsaved people, he always made the same appeal to them after sharing the message of the gospel with them. And his appeal was for them, note this, for them to respond, to respond to the gospel that they've just heard from him with repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul isn't talking here about the content of the gospel. He's not talking about what he actually shared in explaining the message of salvation. What he is referring to is that after he proclaimed the gospel message, he told unbelievers how they needed to respond in order to be saved. And what he told them was that they needed to respond by repenting of their sin and placing their trust in Christ for salvation. Now, obviously, this is critically important to know and understand because we have to know as Christians, what do we say to unbelievers after we've shared Christ with them. We, we have to call them to response. And you would think, because this is so critically important, that all Christians would be agreed upon such an essential issue. However, that's not the case. It's not the case because there are many people today who do not consider repentance to be an element necessary for salvation. And so they simply tell people to believe on Christ for their salvation, but they fail to tell them that repentance is a necessary component of true saving faith. And they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong because Paul says that he made sure in preaching that he called Jewish and Gentile sinners to both repentance as well as faith in Christ. Now understand that repentance is not something that's unrelated to faith. It is tied into faith. It is actually the flip side of faith. So that repentance and faith are like two sides of the same coin. And they're both elements of true saving faith. So the question is, what is repentance? What does this mean? Well, essentially, repentance means to turn away from sin 
The Greek word for repentance literally means a change of mind. But this change of mind, note this, it always involves a change of behavior. It isn't just that you change your mind and then you live the same way you've always been living. No, it involves a change of behavior. This is why when John the Baptist preached his message, which was a message of repentance, he told people, and I quote from Luke 3 verse 8, he told them to bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. If there's true repentance, there will be the fruit of true repentance. Paul said the same thing in Acts 26, 20, when in explaining that when he called individuals to salvation, he told them, and once again I'm quoting, they should repent and turn to God. Note this, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. As John MacArthur has said, the New Testament knows nothing of a gospel that lacks a call to repentance. I fully agree with that. Fully agree. And the, the reason for this is because true evangelistic witnessing always involves telling a person that their sin is offensive to God. And therefore, in coming to Christ for salvation, they must turn from their sin. This is the way Paul preached to unbelievers that they should repent because repentance is part of Christ's great commission to evangelize the lost. This is how it's presented in Luke's gospel. In Luke 24, verse 47, we read that in commissioning his apostles to witness for him, Jesus said these words, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's what Jesus said. The message is a message of repentance. And at the very start of our Lord's ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But sadly, as I've already mentioned, there are many who do not preach repentance as part of the gospel message. As a result, there are some people, sadly, who think they're saved when in reality they are not saved. And that's because they've been told that salvation is there simply because they prayed a prayer of salvation to Jesus. They've asked him to come into their hearts, but they were never told about the seriousness of their sin in light of God's holiness, in light of God's righteousness, in light of God's justice. Therefore, consequently, they weren't convicted of their sin. As a result, they never repented of their sin. They simply asked Jesus into their heart, thinking that merely saying these words, that was their ticket to heaven, sort of magical words. And then they just continued living the same old sinful lifestyle they've always led, except now they're convinced that they're saved, when in fact, they aren't. Now, people like this may feel very bad, remorseful about their sin, even regretting it. But feeling bad about your sin, remorseful, regrets, that's not the same thing as repentance. And I think the perfect illustration of that is Judas Iscariot. He's an example of someone who felt bad. Judas even regretted that he sinned by betraying Christ, but he didn't repent because he didn't turn from his sin. He simply felt sorry for the consequences of his actions that he had betrayed an innocent man. Here's a good way to distinguish the difference between repentance and mere remorse. Repentance involves feeling bad about the act of sin so that you actually turn from it. You feel bad enough that you turn from it. Remorse, on the other hand, feels bad too, but not about the sin itself but rather about the consequences of the sin or the fact that you got caught doing the sin, but there's no intention of ever turning from the sin. That's the difference. Let me illustrate it this way. Many years ago, we went through the very painful 
process at Lakeside of excommunicating a woman in our church for divorcing her husband without any valid biblical grounds. Although she was confronted about her sin a number of times, she just refused to repent. So following the teaching of our Lord in Matthew 18, we removed her from the membership of Lakeside. Well, a few years later, in a conversation I had with this woman, she told me how sorry she was that she went through with the divorce and she admitted it was wrong and it was, it was sinful. And so in trying to discern if she was just remorseful or if she was really truly repentant, I asked her, I said, if you could go back in time, would you still divorce your husband? And her response was, well, I'll have to think about that. Now, folks, if she had to think about it, then it's not repentance. It's not repentance because repentance turns from sin no matter what. It recognizes sin. It hates it. It forsakes it. So to follow Paul in serving the Lord, it means that when we proclaim the gospel to others, we call them to respond to the gospel by repenting of their sin, forsaking their sin, by which we mean that we tell them they must turn away from whatever they know, whatever they're aware of is wrong in their lives. However, it wasn't only repentance that Paul preached, because notice he also says in verse 21 that he testified to Jews and Greeks' faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the the other side of the coin that leads to salvation. Paul not only told people to turn from their sin, but he also told them that in turning from your sin, you are turning to Christ. Turn away from your sin, turn to Christ, trusting him for salvation. From cover to cover, The Bible teaches that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. However, part of true saving faith is repentance from sin. It's not separate from it. It's part of the package. This is what Paul told unbelievers when he proclaimed the gospel to them. And this is what he wanted wanted the Ephesian elders to do when they proclaimed the gospel. And this is what God wants us to do as well. Otherwise, we are not being true. To the word of God. We are misleading people into thinking that they're saved when in reality, without repentance, there is no salvation. Now, I recognize that some of you were saved as little children. It's impossible to go back in time and try to think, did I repent at the time? Listen, the proof if you're really a Christian is that you repent now. Is that because the Christian life is a life of repentance? It begins at the start of our salvation, but true Christians are repenting all the time. There's not a day that goes by that I don't have to repent over many things. So, don't stumble over this. If you're a true Christian, there will be repentance in your life, even if you can't remember what it was like exactly when you turned to Christ initially for salvation. Listen, having said that, it's very possible that there are some here who have never repented of their sin. If that's the case, then don't let yourself be deceived into thinking that you're saved. It is never too late to repent. It is never too late to trust Christ for salvation. Now, all that we've studied so far in Paul's farewell address is the apostle reminding these elders how he conducted his life and ministry. Note this, in the past, the three years prior to this, when he was with them. But now, remember, he's left the city. He's not in the city. He's departed. He's heading towards Jerusalem. This is just a little stop to meet with them. He's on his way to Jerusalem. So having told these men how he ministered to them in the past, as Paul continues speaking, he tells them about what he's doing presently. And how his present actions also reveal an unwavering commitment to serving the Lord, regardless of the trials that he was about 
to face. And so we read in verses 22 and 23, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. With the first words in this statement, and now, Paul has shifted the focus from the past to the present. And now, having begun his farewell address by telling the elders in verse 18 what they already knew about his ministry to them in Ephesus, Paul now tells them something that, you know what, they didn't know. They didn't know this, namely his present course of action. And what was that? It was that the Holy Spirit was constraining him to go to Jerusalem. As the narrative begins to shift, we will see where Paul's story is going next. I imagine the Ephesian elders were certainly perplexed when Paul told them that bonds and afflictions awaited him in Jerusalem. I'm sure their hearts were saying, no, Paul, don't go. We will pick up this storyline in the next verse-by-verse program, so I hope you're able to join us then. If you have missed any of the programs or parts of past programs, please head over to verseviverseradio.org. Click the radio tab and look for the podcasts link. There you will find past programs and you will be able to get caught up on the lessons. Also, if you are ever in the Clearwater area on a Sunday, I know Pastor Steve and the others at Lakeside Community Chapel would love to meet you and worship with you. Let them know you're a listener to the Verse by Verse program. And I hope you can join us next time for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.